the intersection of success and spirituality podcast, episode number 123, with wealth building expert and number one national bestselling author, Chris Hogan, everyday millionaire. So I think being disciplined with money means you live on less than you make, uh, that you do have a plan, i.e. a budget, that you do begin to know that, hey, it's not about necessarily making more, it's about doing more and being smarter with what I have. Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Intersection of Success and Spirituality Podcast, where goals of high performers and achievers with their spiritual life. My name is Joshua Galdas, and I am your host. And okay, let me start by saying the obvious. Being broke is not fun. And I don't care if you're a high performer and achiever in your area of expertise. There are people that make thousands, that make six figures, seven figures, eight figures, and they're broke. On the contrary, there are people that might have a relatively low check, but according to our guest today, end up millionaires. Now, that may shock you, but the reality is that in today's show, you'll come to know how millionaires may look a lot different than what you have previously thought, and you'll also come to note how everyday people have the capacity to become millionaires through certain habits. Today's guest is Ramsey personality and wealth building expert Chris Hogan. He is the host of the popular Chris Hogan Show and a number one national best-selling author. For more than a decade, he has been a trusted financial coach, helping well-known figures and everyday people with their finances, and today we talk about his new book, everyday millionaires so without saying more joining us on the first episode of the year 2018 the intersection of success and spirituality chris hogan Chris Hogan with us. Welcome to the show, Chris. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Talking about your new book, your new project, Everyday Millionaires, How Ordinary People Built Extraordinary Wealth and How You Can Too. And I am so excited and there's so many questions we have. But one of the places that I want to take us to is all the way uh, is you did this study with 10,000 millionaires. And one of the things that just fascinated me was at some point in the book, you were talking about the top three professions of the 10,000 millionaires in your study. And I wanted to start there. What were those professions? What can we glean from this? We wanted to give the, the real life view of the average everyday millionaire. And in doing this research, as you said, we studied over 10,000 of them. Uh, the, the, the reality is the average millionaire is a regular man or woman working a regular job. And as we did the research, the top three professions that we found were engineer was number one, accountant was number two, but number three was teachers, teachers. And, you know, this to me was was shocking and eye opening because teaching is one of those professions that's one of the, you know, most people would, you know, it's underpaid, uh, underappreciated, but teachers. And, and what do we get from this? That the average everyday millionaire is a regular man or woman that has been consistent in how they invest, consistent in how they deal with money, and they've been able to reach this goal over time. 
And speaking about that just for a moment, one thing that as I was reading the book myself, uh, throughout the book you share five characteristics and habits of millionaires. And within those five habits, I saw one thread over and over and over again. And that thread is that those that are millionaires do not have a short-term view with their money. They have a long-term view. And uh, I thought that was quite fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, in having the long-term view, those attributes that you're referring to, this was information we were able to pull out to help people understand, hey, I need to have these attributes in my life. I need to be striving toward these. But, you know, having that long-term view means that they're setting goals, they're hardworking, they're intentional with their finances, uh, they know that wealth building takes consistency, uh, and they take personal responsibility, which means if things are not going well or if things are going well, they know it's on them. So they're not looking to blame others. They're not looking to have a victim mentality. They're looking to strive to be able to meet goals. And one thing, as I mentioned earlier, is there's a certain mold that people have of wealth and sometimes there's ideas that have been passed down uh, culturally, sometimes in our families. And the people that listen to our show, they are people of faith, they are people that uh, from spiritual communities. And oftentimes, uh, one thing that you refer to in the book is that successful people can be perceived as greedy. Oftentimes, they could be seen as the villain. Uh, having some truth talk for a moment, what are some damaging ideas or myths? that are de derailing people in spiritual communities from being successful with their money? Well, I think, you know, there, uh, there always needs to be, in any story, there needs to be a villain. Uh, the hero versus the villain. This is a common theme that has been around even, you know, during silent movies. Um, and so that's, that's a story and a plot line. Um, unfortunately, you know, wealth has gotten, gotten that picture and been targeted as that villain. And the reality is, is that obviously you can have uh, of all types of people, you can have somebody that doesn't have money that can be a villain and you could have somebody that has money that can be a villain. But the average view, I think we have to be careful of this uh, because of these 10,000 millionaires that I talked to, giving was a high priority, being able to impact others and, and having that awareness. And so I, I think, you know, when we when we realized, you know, it says we're blessed to be a blessing in the Bible. And, you know, the goal is, is obviously, as we talk about, to be able to get out of debt, build wealth so you can give. And so this mindset, we have to be careful of what we think and how we got there to be able to make sure that we're acknowledging the truth. The Bible talks about it. It's not that money is evil. It's the love of money, right? And which means that you're serving money instead of serving your Lord and Savior. So the proper mindset and the right tools in someone's hands, money can, is a tool. It's a, it gives an opportunity to be able to build things and do things for others. So I, I, I just want to encourage people to look at this, have this awareness, and really start to think about what they believe and how they got there. Is it possible for them? Yes, because I've read story after story of, of, of these millionaires in the book. And all of them have incredible stories of giving, uh, some uh, uh, very anonymously because they're not looking for the credit. But if we think about it, and we know there are all kinds of, 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 of valid charities out there, causes that need help. Well, I broke people can't help other people financially. Uh, and so once we get this mindset and understand and take control for ourselves, it puts us in a position to be a blessing to others. This book was so eye-opening in many, many ways. And apart from the earlier thing that you mentioned, 
the top three professions, engineers, uh, you were talking about even teachers. Uh, but another thing that was very eye-opening was that at some point in the book, you talk about that a substantial number of the 10,000 millionaires in your study came from, of all places, came from farms. What was significant about that and why do you think that is the case? Yeah, it was. It was actually shocking, you know, that a high percentage of them had some type of connection to farm work, whether they grew up on a farm or they had a farm. And I think it's the hardworking, you know, hardworking is one of the, the attributes that I talked about earlier. And you can't, you know, slack and work on a farm. Uh, farming is, is seven days a week. You've got something that has to be done. And if you don't reap, you don't get to sow. And so I think it's that mindset and that quality inside of working on farms or other hardworking people where you have this trait of people that get up and they do their job every day. And they're striving for that because they know they want the harvest to come. They want to be able to do things. They need to be able to eat and provide for their families. And so I think that hard working mentality, that consistency factor, I don't think it's an accident. I think it's part of the fabric of people who have either worked on a farm or grew up on a farm or run one. Mm, mm. Which, which I just see it again and again, just that mindset change between short term versus long term. Because when you're going for the harvest, you're thinking about the long term uh, view of things. In chapter four of the book, you made a distinction between what it means to be educated versus uh, somebody that is smart. And what you were referencing there is sometimes people think in order to be wealthy, I have to uh, come from a very prestigious school of sorts. And I thought that distinction, that, that difference that you marked there was huge. Can you tell us about that difference? Sure. Yeah. That was one of the myths that I chopped down. I chopped down six myths inside of the book. Uh, but, the, you know, the fact that, you know, people think that you have to go to, you know, some fancy private school or an Ivy League school uh, in order to be able to build wealth is is false. That's not true. But the, the concept that you mentioned about being educated versus smart, you know, I, I was, you know, one of those people that, you know, I've met people that are highly educated, um, as a as a financial coach, and I'm working with them, uh, and they're very skilled in their craft with what they do, but they're not necessarily smart with money or smart in dealing with life. Mm. And so I think it's this 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 mindset. And I'm a fan of education. I've got multiple degrees, uh, but I think it's where you apply the wisdom. You know, that's where we have an opportunity to get smarter uh, when we apply knowledge and we understand, hey, these are some things that I need to learn. These are some beliefs I need to make sure that I have and that I need the actions to go along with it. You know, having just smart book smarts means you're educated. Being able to apply that into your life to be able to have a quality of life or to be able to help others, that's where people have a potential to get smarter. Mm. And delving a bit deeper into this. Uh, you talk at some point that these millionaires within this study did not necessarily have the best GPAs in their school careers, but something that is super counterintuitive for most people is that you talk that they were involved in a number of extracurricular activities, and you even mentioned that you and your own journey, uh, you were pretty involved in sports, and uh, this may seem counterintuitive, but I, I want to ask, how does being in sports 
or some of the lessons that you can glean from sports? How can that impact your wealth? And for the parents out there, uh, how can maybe uh, them encouraging their kids in extracurricular activities impact perhaps uh, their kids with wealth in the future? Yeah, I think it is. That was uh, one of that was an eye-opening thing to be able to see um, how being involved in extracurricular activities uh, really helped. And I think what it does is it helps people to begin to have more awareness of not only themselves but of people that come from various backgrounds, uh, people that that have different thought patterns. But in in any of those things, you essentially end up becoming part of a team. Uh, you, you, you're, you're working toward a goal and everybody has a role. Uh, I'm a former athlete. Uh, and, and, and so seeing that and understanding that, Hey, if I do my job, it gives the team a better opportunity to win. And I think that correlation, as you look at it into our family lives or even in building wealth really means that you've got a bigger understanding of what you're working toward. You know, you know how to set goals, uh, you know how to work as a team and you know your role. And so I think all of those things, it goes back to those attributes of this isn't an accident, you know, and so I would encourage parents. I'm not saying your kid needs to be involved in every single activity that's out there, but it's good for them to be active. Uh, it's good for them to, to know, you know, the, the thrill of victory and the frustration that comes with defeat, but it helps them to see things differently and understand that ultimately – I think the biggest thing, the biggest trait that I saw out of all of these millionaires is personal responsibility. They own where they are. And and I and I, I think that's a trait that if we can help older people as well as younger people begin to have, I think we can start to make a difference in our society. And another trait that you talked about <clears throat> throughout the book was discipline. And the people that listen to our show, they're, they're high achievers, they're people that are doing phenomenal things in different areas. Um, and so they know a little bit of the, the need of discipline to be great in their professions and in their lives. But uh, what's the need of discipline when it comes to our finances and how does that impact the possibility of becoming a millionaire someday? Well, I think it comes back to that whole personal responsibility factor. You know, uh, discipline means that you know sacrifice. You know the value of being able to focus on a task and doing it the right way. And with money, you know, money is one of those topics. It's such a big deal. You know, I think there are almost 800 or so, you know, discussions about money inside of the Bible. And so why is that? Because it is an area that that it can give us trouble if our hearts aren't right or if we don't have the right skill set. And so I think being disciplined with money means you live on less than you make, uh, that you do have a plan, i.e. a budget, that you do begin to know that, hey, it's not about necessarily making more. It's about doing more and being smarter with what I have. Apart from the, the aforementioned things that we've talked about so far in the interview, uh, one other thing that really fascinated me, too, was that you were talking about, at some point in the book, you, you mentioned that millionaires don't have miserable marriages. And that was very interesting. 91% of these people you studied said that their marriage was either good or great. And I want to dive in a bit more into this. How does fostering a good marriage, something that maybe uh, sometimes people maybe get sucked too much into their jobs or maybe their kids. Uh, why is that important, especially as it comes to wealth? Well, I think it's important because, you know, working together as a team is so important. Uh, being on the same page, 
you know, talking about the goals, having these things that you're working for and working toward, when you do that in unison, it speeds up things. Uh, you're able to make progress. You're able to have harmony in what you're striving for. And so even though you may be working hard or even things, you know, can get frustrating or trying, you know, you got a teammate. And I think, you know, having that teammate is is invaluable, uh, especially as you get tired or you may go through frustrations because you've got somebody that is pro you. They're for you uh, and they're able to cheer you on. They're able to lift you up and encourage you even when things may get tough. And I think that that is uh, that longer term view and that longer term mindset uh, that really helps people be more successful overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the book, there's so within these 10,000 millionaires, you, you share a number of stories, a number of stories of everyday people that have been disciplined, that have uh, executed with these habits. Of all these stories in this book, uh, what was a story that maybe captured your attention the most or really was the most eye-opening to you? Well, I, you, know, for, you know, for me, I, I, Pam, story really jumps out. Uh, this was a young lady whose parents, they struggled, you know, with fun finances all throughout her life. Um, her dad was very hardworking. He taught her the value of hard work and really being self-sufficient. Um, you know, she went to work and save for college, but here's the thing. It took her 11 years to get her degree, but she graduated at 31. And throughout having those setbacks early on, she was able to purchase a home. She saved for retirement. She had three kids, uh, and ended up going through a divorce, you know, um, and even in that, uh, she picked herself back up and she kept her goals on track. Uh, she's now happily remarried, uh, and she sold a company that she built from the ground up and she's doing incredible amounts of giving anonymously, uh, to help other single moms that are out there that may be walking through some life challenges. And so I just, you know, I'm, I'm proud of her because life threw challenges at her and she had to go through some trials and tribulations, but she kept her eye on the goal. And she has this heart to be able to give back and impact others. Wow. So this has been a phenomenal time, Chris. We're about to go to our concluding segment. But before that, you have the ears of our listeners. Some people are listening uh, to us on their way to work. There's others that maybe are doing some errands. There's others that are probably uh, exercising right now, wherever they find themselves. uh, There's people that maybe uh, this conversation itself has been very eye-opening for them. Is there anything else on your heart that you would like to share with all of our listeners? Well, I, I, I would say this, you know, a couple things. Number one, life is not meant to be done alone. And I don't care, you know, what you're going through or what you're walking toward. Uh, I want you to make sure you're plugged in and you've got friends, uh, you're attending a church, you got people around you that care about you. Um, because if you have people that care about you, you can get through just about anything. Uh, but it's about taking one step, you know, on my show, the Chris Hogan show, I talk to people and I coach them all the time to let them know that one step forward is called progress. And so I want people to just focus on their life and taking that one step today, just go forward and be careful of what you tell yourself. You know, I feel like we can tell ourselves some terrible, awful stuff. We can replay some harm that has been done to us. And so I just want to encourage people to let go of that pain, uh, let go of that and grab hope and start to take one step forward. And you can do this. I believe in you that you can take one step forward in every facet of your life and you can make those improvements. So we're about to go to our last set of questions. And the, the first question that we, uh, these are questions that, 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 I think are just very meaningful and powerful. And uh, just starting off, how old are you today, Chris? 
Uh, I am 47 years old. If we were to go back 10 years when you were 37 and you could look at Chris then and talk to yourself and give yourself some words of wisdom at 37, what would you tell yourself? Oh, wow. Uh, if I could go back 10 years, what would I tell myself? I would tell myself uh, to take some, take some time and to be able to relax and unplug um, and really, you know, enjoy the journey. Uh, I think we can get so focused on accomplishing and running forward that if we're not careful, we can fast forward or miss some opportunities uh, to impact people's lives. Uh, to, to take the time and talk to somebody, find out what they're walking through in life and find ways to encourage people, whether it's through thank you notes, small gifts, or just taking the time to talk with them. And so I would tell me to slow down a little bit, breathe and stay focused. We went back 10 years. Now let's go forward 10 years. If I were to give you a piece of paper in which you could write to yourself 10 years from now when you're 57, what would you tell yourself? Oh, wow. To, to now... Look for ways to be a blessing, like to, to continue to look for that. Um, know the road you on leads you exactly to where you want to go. Uh, be aware of obstacles. Be aware of the challenges. Be ready for the challenges. Keep your strength up uh, and enjoy it. Mm, mm. Uh, the, the people that listen to our show, uh, as I mentioned previously, they're, they're people that are doing great things in their niche, in their area of work. And you're no different. You're somebody that has uh, coached, been a financial coach to some people that are very well known, people that have a lot of assets. You've been very successful in what you're doing, uh, a very uh, also impactful person as a thought leader. Um, in midst of all of this achievement, uh, what are some practices or uh, things that help you stay grounded? Well, I think uh, in, in staying grounded, I think it's important to have uh, good friends, uh, to be around people that know you, uh, and they, they are, they care about you as an individual, not what you do. Um, and so I think that that is important because they will keep you humble, uh, and they will keep you rooted. Um, I'm also focusing on being centered. Mm. You know, there's this adage out there of being balanced, right? That, that you need to have everything 50, 50 and perfectly balanced in your life. And I think that's a fallacy. Um, I think what we have to do is be centered, uh, that means being the, right in the center of what it is that needs to be done. That means when I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm focused on work. And when I'm at home, I'm at home and I'm focused on home. And I think this concept of center can help us to be able to focus, uh, to feel less guilty about what we may be missing out on, but it'll allow us to be plugged in right where we are. Mm, mm, so good. Last question. When it's all said and done and you've breathed your last breath and your loved ones, uh, the people that maybe have been impacted through your work and the world is reminiscing about who you were and what you did on this earth. What would you like everyone to say about you? What would you like Chris Hogan's legacy to be? Wow. Um, well, I can tell you, you know, my legacy are my boys. Um, I would love for somebody one day to bump into them when I'm long gone and they're able to say that I, I knew your dad or I met him or I heard him speak and that man cared. Uh, he encouraged me and he coached me. Um, and as far as with everyone else, what I'd love for them to be able to say about me is that, you know what, Chris Hogan was authentic, mm. uh, meaning that I was comfortable in my own skin uh, and I cared about people. And I think if, if that's something they can say, that I, I can be proud of that. Mm. Well, Chris, it's been a phenomenal time today as we've talked about so much, especially about your new book, 
everyday millionaires, how ordinary people built extraordinary wealth, and how you can too. Friends, this is a game changer. Do not miss it. For those that are listening right now, Chris, what is the best way you can stay connected with you and just everything you're doing? And how can people get a copy of the book as well? Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Um, to get connected with me, they can go to chrishogan360.com uh, with all things me, uh, the book, the blogs, the Chris Hogan show. All of that information is right at my website, chrishogan360.com. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you. It was a pleasure. What a fascinating and interesting conversation, don't you think? Such an immense treat to have Chris Hogan with us today. If you need to listen to that one more time, go ahead and do it. And don't forget to check out that book, Everyday Millionaire. And right here, right here in this moment, as we conclude our show, we leave you with a sneak peek of our next episode with the CEO of Multi, Dan Reddy. One of the philosophies of, of our business is like everybody does everything. Hmm. And so, yes, I'm the CEO, but I take out the trash. I do FedEx labels when... They, people need help. I do purchase orders. I do sales orders. But I'm also directing the business. And so I think it's important. A CEO is just a title, right? Yeah. I, I, I direct the company where we should go, and then we get everything in place. And I've got amazing team. Like, if I bring all this stuff in, what good is it bringing it in if I don't have people that can facilitate it, right? Yeah. So that's important. I was just talking uh, to one of our newest employees about how important that is, is, you know, Everybody has a responsibility to keep this machine running. Hmm. And so I'm not above any work. Now, Dan oversees a company that provides medical equipment to hospitals and medical facilities. And we talk about a number of things, things like taking good care of employees and a redemptive approach to capitalism, among many other things. And it's just really, really good. So you don't want to miss that Thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to stay connected. If you have any comments, feedback, or invitations for speaking engagements, or would like to contact us for any other reason, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at joshua.ogaldez, O-G-A-L-D-E-Z, at live.com. Also, you can find me on Facebook as Joshua Galdez and Instagram. We got a page for the show at Intersection Podcast. Be blessed. Let's keep building a legacy. Till next time, this is Joshua Galdas signing off. Grace and peace, dear friends.